am I talking to anyone today? It's like the Black Friday. And then some stores just try to get cute and clever, and they think, you know what? Let's just make the sale last all December. <laughs> so in case you didn't have money at the beginning of the month, uh, but in all seriousness, the freaky thing that, because uh, uh, the Rock Church, a, a beautiful church that's been renting our facility for some time, they found a, a home for themselves, and that's their drum set. So they're going to be taking the drums. So my friend and I, Lance, are scouring the Black Friday sales to, to pick up a, a nice drum kit. And the freaky thing about how all that works is when I started to click on an image for a drum kit, I started noticing that drum kit everywhere I went online. I've heard about the omniscience and omnipresence and omni every omni thing about God, the all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at one time God. But what about these ads, people? Turn to your neighbor and nod at them, at least, if this has actually happened to you, that you clicked on something that you didn't think anyone was watching, a good something, like a drum kit for a church, and it started showing up on your Instagram feed, your Facebook, your like, how do they know how to find me? So, being the good pastor, or the decently good pastor that I am, I tried to spiritualize it. Black Friday is symbolic of Good Friday. <laughs> and Cyber Monday represents Pentecost, when the Spirit was available to all people. <laughs> you ever know Cyber Monday is relatively new at the dawn of the Internet? And um, so in case you couldn't make the storefront on Friday, you can go to any digital storefront on Cyber Monday. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for... <laughs> So I, yeah, we've almost made it. Take a deep breath. We are in the valley of the shadow of Good Friday. I mean, Black Friday <laughs> and Cyber Monday when deals are available to all of creation. Um, but it's in times like these, obviously, to turn the corner. Um, we're forced to wrestle with the issue of what do I need, what do I want? Am I talking to anyone today? Like, do I need that personalized hand sanitizer rubber thing that hangs from my backpack or not? Well, it depends. I like clean hands. I take the Bible literally to always have clean hands and a pure heart. But it's in these seasons as we, we you know, next week we begin our Advent series, which is that, that waiting between the first Advent or arrival of Jesus and his return. And we're in that in-between space of waiting and groaning and longing for God to come and make all things new. So as we're here on the cusp of Advent, there's a passage that has just been messing me up. Does anyone ever have a passage that just messes you up for a while? Four of us, that's perfect. I can work with four. Four. And oddly enough, Debbie had no clue it's that exact passage that she quoted, <laughs> which is freaky. <laughs> I was out there putting this mic on, and I was like, what is she saying? What is she saying? <laughs> it's that passage. Lazarus, Jesus, outside of the rotting carcass, the decaying body, the dead Lazarus. And I just began to think, about that passage, and we're just going to look at that story a little bit and unpack some, maybe some implications for what it might mean for our life. But I started thinking, 
you know, Jesus and his prayer life and his connection with the Father and his confidence in the Father that when he would ask, the Father would hear. Like, man, I want that same kind of confidence, that same kind of boldness. And then I started thinking about prayer. This is like for five or six weeks, this passage has been in my back pocket, on my notes, just thinking, okay, Lord, I want you to show me something about this passage. And then I started thinking about prayer. When most of us think about prayer, it's usually telling God all the things we need, want, or desire. Am I talking to anyone today? My concerns, my worries, my fears, my doubts, my sin, my insecurities, I need help. And I started thinking, what is God after in the exchange of prayer? Have you ever thought about that in the midst of Black Friday, Cyber Monday gauntlet? We're inundated with being pulled at what we want, but has anyone ever paused and thought with me as I have all week, what does God want? Like, what is the, if he has everything, what does he want? He already has everything. What does he want? What's he after? What is God looking for? If God had a Black Friday sale, which it was called Good Friday, when the blood of Jesus was the ransom and the purchase of the humanity's sin and fallenness. And it wasn't a cheap sale. It was very costly. But from heaven's perspective, from God, what does he want? Like when he sees little Chad come in to the secret place every morning when I make my coffee, AeroPass pour over, beautiful organic five country blend. Before all the kids wake up, and are you there with me right now on that lazy boy and the Bible? I'm describing heaven for me in this season of wildness, crazy loud, always on. But I started thinking, what does God want? Like, what's in it for him? Have you ever thought of it? What's God want? And I think Jesus helps us to answer that question. So if you were wondering... I know Jesus has to be the answer in some way, shape, or form. You are correct. Give yourself a pat on the back. So open up your Bibles. We're just going to go through this little, little section of the story. And I'm trusting that maybe someone will be encouraged today, blessed, strengthened. John chapter 11, if you have a smartphone, you can just type that in. Verse 38. A Bible, it's like two-thirds of the way. Gospel of John, the good news according to John, chapter 11, verse 38. And if you're there, just say amen at me. And uh, back where I come from, the Midwest of Kansas, after the singers and worshipers made you stand a bunch, after we'd all sat down and got comfortable, the preacher would often say, can we stand out of honor for God's word? So stand up with me really quick. I got six verses we're going to read. How many are feeling a little bit heavier from the, the events of this week? Yeah. I was saying if they had like a, if we, we should have had like, anyway, a weigh-in before the service. That'd been, <laughs> so we could have prayed and I know I've gained a few pounds. Verse 38. 
Verse 38. Then Jesus again, greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked upward, Debbie, and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. Past tense. We're going to unpack it. it. It's been six weeks I've been chewing on it. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. Whoa. When he said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Now we see who is this Lazarus fellow, Mary and Martha. How many know that Jesus had friends? Who wants to be Jesus's friend? It's actually possible to become his friend. Did you know that? He loves friends. Well, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were a family. They were some of Jesus's closest friends. Every time he made the trip, either going to Jerusalem or leaving Jerusalem, he would love to stop in his town called Bethany to his friend's house and hang out, share a meal, share some teachings and thoughts of the truth that he came to embody and to declare. They were like Jesus's family. Do you guys have people in your life that you know they have an open door policy that no matter where you're at, you can stop by their house? Raise your hands at me. How many have an open door policy friend? They just don't know it. They get really annoyed that you treat them like an open door policy friend. (laughs) Praise the Lord. They loved having Jesus hang out with them. And that'll preach. Did you know that I think one of the things that God is after is to just be invited in to the mess of everyday life, to the eating, to the sharing of conversation, a meal, friendship. These three, the three characters that outside of Jesus are the main characters of this little snapshot of the glory of God being revealed through Jesus. They're his friends. As I was studying this passage, I was just taken up from John chapter 11, 1, verse through 1 through 36, four times. And how many know repetition in story is the storyteller trying to tell us something to pay attention to? Four times John writes how much Jesus loved these guys. I mean, there's like the general principle that God so loved the world. Everybody's included in the world, amen. But like he really loved these guys. Four times John tells us there is, he loved them. He cared about them. They weren't some random people on the roadside or in some random village. These were his people. And just before this episode where Jesus raises Lazarus and gives us a snapshot of what he has made available for every son and daughter, the kind of relationship with the father that he wanted to bring the world in on, Martha already knew, if you go back to verse 21, Lord, if you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. 
But even now, verse 22, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Not bad arrangement, if you ask me. You know those Bible verses about prayer in the Bible that we all try to explain away because they're too great and glorious and they blow our mind? Am I talking to you? Like, speak to the mountain and move and ask for anything and it will be done. Who's tried to explain that one away because your experience didn't match the size of the promise? Me. Many of us. We, we think God needs help, so we just explain it away. Mary, I mean, Martha spoke a truth about Jesus that even now I know, Jesus, that whatever you ask God, he'll do it. She was confident in the connection. Someone say that with me. Confident in the connection. Confident that there was some sort of connection between Jesus and his father. Beloved, what if those in our lives, those we work with, those that we run with, those in our neck of the woods, those that we share life with, what if we could become, by God's grace, those people who were confident in the connection we had with the Father? Come on, you know those people. You've been to parties or dinners where people name drop. Has anyone been by a name dropper? Oh, I hung out with that celebrity once. Or, I mean, I was at this restaurant. And, you know, the name droppers. Am I talking to anyone? But, man, how many want confidence that not because of some person you know, but because of the confidence that you have that when you speak, God hears? Confidence. That's quite a statement. I know that even now, God will give whatever you ask of him. So let's unpack it. Verse 38. Jesus was disturbed when he came to the tomb. It was a stone. It was a cave, and there was a stone lying against it. And here's the little lesson that I've been messing with for over a month. Why include the small detail of a stone over it? The small detail that we could just skip through when we read narrative passages of the gospel have huge implications for our story and for our life. Before Jesus can show the fruit of his connection with the Father, he includes those around him to Remove the stone first so that the miracle can happen. He's already revealed his power over nature. Remember in the boat, the storm, shh, be quiet. Over sickness, over the demonic. In Luke 7, he's already raised a widow's son of Nain. So over death already, if you include all the gospels. Over sin, remember the guy that got lowered through the roof and he forgave his sin? This was in Mark 2 and Matthew 9. So why does the king of glory need to include us to remove the stone before the miracle can happen? This is the thought that's been jacking with me, thinking. And here's what my best attempt is as we think about prayer and what God's after and how to have that same connection with the Father that Jesus did. Because there is always, 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 someone say always. When God moves, there's always a human element and a God element. Even in the season we're about to enter into, the Lord of glory needed a virgin womb to conceive the life of his son in. I mean, this is one of the greatest miracles of our story, of our faith, is God partnering with humanity to bring to bear literally his saving purposes on the earth. Before I can raise this guy, I need someone to remove a stone. 
Why? Because every time God sets about to do something, he always includes us. And in this thing called prayer, which I'm defining prayer as relationship, everyone say prayer is relationship. Two-way street, communion, talking, listening, responding to a real person with real feelings, real thoughts, a real will, a real agenda, a real plan, a real purpose, a real desire. God actually is after something. Because there's always a human element and a God element. The human element, there's a human element to prayer and a God element to prayer. And understanding the difference is crucial. Because listen, how many of us have ever had this experience? Who, who of us have known powerless, disappointed, confused, I prayed for, it didn't happen experience? Just raise your hand. My hand is certainly raised. I'm at, I mean, many of us, listen, I'm learning something about coaching these boys. I'm coaching freshman basketball. That when you're drilling, a, when you're doing a drill and when you're going after it, and you're trying to get the elbow in. I worked with my post player for about an hour and a half yesterday. When you tell him to plant his foot, to reverse dribble and spin and go up, that eventually if they don't get it, if you don't throw them a bone to give them a release, if it's just disappointment, 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 eventually they get dejected. Beloved, I am convinced this is where many believers are at because we've not understood that in the realm of prayer and the relationship of God, we've got to be clear on the human element and the God element. So that I'm not just living under the illusion that heaven is closed, that my prayers never reach further than the ceiling of the room I'm sitting in or standing in, but that I need to understand what is the part I bring and the part that God brings. That in our powerlessness and our disappointment or confusion in the realm of prayer, the, the, the goal is to not quit and to say, well, he must not be on the line today. He must be busy or talking to someone else more spiritual than me. The goal is to sit there in the confusion, disappointment, and to maybe rearrange the aim or the gaze or focus of your prayer. What if in our prayers we actually don't know what to ask for and the Lord not giving us what we don't know what we're asking for is actually a good act of his goodness and his grace like what if our asking was wrong and don't even get to tell me hey i got four kids kids ask for wrong stuff all the time come on somebody dad chocolate you just had hot chocolate you haven't even eaten dinner you've had four oranges and you are asking me for something that i know is actually not good for you Come on, how many have experienced that? Misplaced asking, the aim of our ask. How many of us, what if prayer, okay, here, here's the, the thought. What if prayer was more about what God gets out of it and out of the deal than what we get out of it? This is maybe a little deep, but go with me. Just swim, just dive in. Just dive in. I got to thinking. What if in prayer, the greater question is not what I'm coming with in my neediness, but when I come, what does he want? What is he thinking? What is he wanting to reveal and to show? What if prayer was more about what he gets out of it than us? I believe this one small dynamic was the key to Jesus' whole life and ministry. And here's the one-liner that I think might be from the Lord. 
Because the Father possessed all of Jesus, Jesus had at his disposal all that the Father possessed. Say it one more time. Because Jesus knew that prayer was way more than coming to his Father with endless lists of what he needed and wanted. Prayer was more about communion and friendship with his Father and what the Father was after. That because the Father possessed all of Jesus, that Jesus at a given moment had all that the Father possessed. Everything. And in one word, oddly enough, in the high priestly prayer of John 17, there is a verse, I think, that sort of gives this thesis backing. Unbelievable in implication. Jesus says this in John 17, 10. All I have is yours, and all you have is What if the reason why Mary and Martha were so confident that whenever Jesus spoke to his father, he'd get what he asked was because Jesus gave the father what he's always been after, which is just all of us. All, how can he's praying this before the cross, right? All I have is yours. And as a result, all you have is mine. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. D.L. Moody has a famous quote. He was a revivalist of the 1900s. The world has yet to see what God can do with a person fully consecrated or given over to God. By God's help, he said, I aim to be that man. And I would say the world has seen what it looks like for a man to be fully given over to God. His name is Jesus. In the midst of Black Friday and the hustle of Cyber Monday and getting your Christmas list, it's, we're inundated with what do I want, what do I need, what do I desire, what, what do I need to improve on for my image or what I think I need. But what if we paused in this season on the cusp of this Advent season, and we said, God, what do you want? What are you after? And what if God's inviting this church, inviting all of creation, him, all of his people into this place of prayer or relationship and communion where it was, Lord, all I have is yours. We'd stay there long enough that we could hear him whisper, is mine. All I have is yours. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Say that with me. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there's a stench. Come on. Already the diaper genie is overflowing. I'm trying to make this practical. My life, I know smelly things, right? Talking about the human element and the God element. God's perfect on his end, amen? Could we at least agree with that? All power, all authority reigns. He's the king, he's the Lord, master, resurrection, everything. All of the promises. Before God can do what he wants to do, we gotta remove the stone. And what keeps us, I'm taking this as an allegory, metaphor, go with me. What are the stones in our life that we are holding back from God because we're afraid he'll be offended by the stench?
And the Lord says to us, remove the stone. I want to flood your life with resurrection power, but you've got to remove stones. You've got to remove those things that if I had full access to, you think disqualify you. You think I would think you're no good. You think certainly if those around you, remember at this point in the story, there are as many people around the tomb. That you'd be, people would be offended if they found out what you're hiding behind. But the Lord of glory says, before resurrection life can flood your life, you've got to remove the stone. But Lord, it's stinky. And the problem is in the God element and the human element, many times our element is mixed. What we bring to the table is sometimes tainted. Am I talking to anybody? We're a hot mess of mixed motives, our brokenness, insecurity, pride, compromise, anxiety, fear, or whatever your stench is. That's just my list. Lord, I can't remove the stone. I can't, my little part in prayer and the relationship, I can't lay bare who I really am, so I need to project this false image on my social media. I gotta show the world that I have it together. And the Lord says, buddy, the stink is seeping out of cracks you didn't know you had. You just think you're holding it at bay, but it always finds a way to escape. The stench of your stinky stench. <laughs> Beloved, we serve a God who wants resurrection, life, and power to be the characteristic of our life, but so many of us are blocking the flow of that glory because we've got stones at the entrance out of fear that if... He, it was exposed, if it was brought into the open, it would disqualify us. Am I talking to anyone today in truth? And the unbelievable truth is that God is not in the least bit afraid of what's behind the stone, so move the dang thing. What if prayer, and its first and maybe foremost objective was about removing the barriers, opening the closed doors, lifting the hood of our heart, soul, mind, and emotions, and letting God's loving, healing, empowering presence come crashing in so that he could send us into the world to be light and salt and love and truth. What if it wasn't so much about what I'm asking for and whether or not all the things on my list got nailed? Beloved, if you get him, you get all things. Lord, there's already a stench. I know, Martha. You're always worried about something. But I'm not afraid of your stench. I want the stone removed, and I'm asking you to move it. Amen. But, Chad, I'm dejected. My prayers, are there stones? Are there barriers? Are, I, I, I picture, like, you know, areas in our heart or our minds or our lives or relationship that sort of have, I just watched, I took my kids, amazing, uh, Wreck-It Ralph, the new one, beautiful, fun movie, some cool lessons and hilarious, so shameless plug. Um, but there's this scene that, you know, we think we can put yellow caution tape and God, you can't come here. How many know caution tape is no match for the king of the world? Hey. <laughs> But here's the bummer. The king of the world honors volition. He honors the human will. How many know a breath, the stone could have evaporated, but he includes us because he's after relationship, friendship, intimacy. He's not after just doing all the work for us. He could. He's powerful. He's dynamic. He's glorious. He, 
He possesses all might and glory and strength. But, beloved, in this place called prayer and relationship, he's saying to us today, remove the stone and let me come in with my power and with my light. Jesus said in verse 40, we're almost done. Did I not tell you, stinky, fearful Martha, that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Believe me, in spite of your weakness and your stench and your stinkiness and whatever you're carrying and whatever, I mean, how many know we are in an unprecedented day where the people's private lives are being projected like never before because of the dawn of the cell phone, the recording devices and testimonies, and I believe it's the Lord's doing. He does not want us to get away any longer with being one way in public and one way in private. Now, to some of us, that scares the living daylights out of us. Our knees are knocking. Many times in politics, Capitol Hill, Hollywood, whatever, when the private life gets exposed, it's destruction, deterioration, death, the end of your career. But when Jesus' private life gets exposed, i.e. his relationship with the Father, it's the kingdom coming, the dead rising, the sinners forgiven, the sick healed. When the private life of Jesus is drawn into the public, it's life. How many want that life? How many want that, that who I am in private, I'm not afraid if it gets brought out into the light because, because I'm a person that wants to be given over to him and his purposes. I want to be a person that's stone free. Just, I want to move them. And if one gets brought up, I get hurt from a criticism or a gossip or I'm, 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 I'm uh, insecure because that guy or gal is better. Or what, I just, anytime they come rolling in, I just want them to roll on through and say, no, thank you. This is a no stone zone. That'll preach, man. That wasn't even in the notes. No stone zone. Say it with me. No stone zone. I am not going to put anything up between God and my stench. I would rather he take my stench and put it in, turn it into something beautiful. Man, this is a good, good word. God, in other words, did I not tell you, Martha, if you just believed, you'd see my glory. In other words, he almost likes that what we bring to the table is our weakness and our insecurity because he loves when the deck is stacked against them because then it's really actually in his favor and he'll get the maximum amount of glory and honor. Did you know that he's never used a perfect vessel who had it all together? That's why it's called grace and mercy. He uses imperfect people, fragmented, but through his grace and love are being put together and then sent to show that, yes, even me, even you, he could dwell in and do his thing through. But the stone's got to be removed. Braving the vulnerability, transparency, the risk of being known. The very first thing that sin and compromise do to us is it creates a reach for cover trigger response. We are experts at trying to cover ourselves. First of all, trying to be God of our own kingdom. And then when we make a mess because we're not fit to rule apart from the one who is the ruler, we then try to fix our mess. So we have a twofold problem. <laughs> but in Christ, there's a new way forward. Martha, if you will brave the stench, you might be shocked what I do on the other side of that stone. 
exposing and laying bare our true condition so that Jesus can fill our brokenness and barrenness, I would argue is one of the predominant aims of true prayer. He already knows what you need before you ask him. I, I, know all the, I know the verses we're supposed to ask and seek. I know them. I love them. Chad, I don't want to expose the truth of where I'm at, who I am in secret, behind the masks and the false projections of myself to those around me. Well, if that's true of you today, you're in good company. <laughs> Start praying this little prayer every day. Lord Jesus, I want to begin to cherish the thought of you more than my fear of being exposed before you. And he might start answering that prayer. Lord, I want to begin, you're going to have to help me to begin to cherish the thought of being known by you and loved by you and transformed by you so that you can send me as a transforming, healing, loving agent into the world. But you're going to have to give me courage because I'm scared being exposed, laying my cards on the table. I think that's a prayer he'd slightly be interested to answer. Let's close this puppy up. Verse 41 and 2, so they took away the stone. Come on, someone say, they took away the stone. And I, I bolded it on my notes, and then Jesus looked up and said, Right here has been six weeks of processing, this one verse coming up. Father, I thank you that you've heard me, past tense, and I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here. How can Jesus say before he asks, thank you, Father, I know you've heard me? Because for Jesus, his prayer was his life. And all of his thoughts and activities and healings and teachings, pouring into his 12 friends, his disciples, dodging the plans of the Pharisees until it was his appointed time to die on the cross on the hill called Golgotha. His whole life was at the ready. Father, whatever you say, whatever you think, whatever you feel, whatever you're doing, I'm about that. I knew you always hear me. I'm only praying out loud for the benefit of those who can hear me. I mean, how many know that is baller status prayer life? Yeah. <laughs> I'm only vocalizing it, everything I know to be true inside because of our relationship, Father. I'm just going to let these knuckleheads in on what I'm about to make available to all of them by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I want to give them a little, a little blip. This is what I am dying for. I'm not dying to get you out of hell, to go somewhere someday in the sweet by. I'm dying to stuff your life with heaven, with my presence. I, I want you to begin now to participate in this fellowship with the Father through the Son and the power of the Spirit that will continue on into the age to the age to the age to the age for all eternity. We're training for eternity, beloved. Jesus is saying, I'll pray it out loud, Father, even though we already settled this when no one was around. But because I want them to get in on what I'm about to make available to all of them, Father, 
He doesn't even ask. Just tweaks me. Thank you. Because I do not, I, listen, I always, I love this verse. The one who sent me is with me. John 8, 29. He's not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. That's not a bad mission statement over our life and our church. Jesus, we want to be a church that just does what pleases the Father. I am not what I produce. I am not what I possess. I am not what public opinion currently is of me. I am the Father's beloved Son, the one in whom he delights and rejoices over. Jesus was so confident of who he was, so secure in the relationship with the Father, he never had to project or protect or work something up in public that wasn't already true of him in private. He never had to compromise. He never had to overcompensate. I need to prove or show. He was just free to be. Why? Because between Jesus and the Father, there were no stones. Because all I have is yours and all you have is What if we spent as much time on who we are becoming in private as we do in trying to project some polished, put-together version of who we are in public? That'll preach. I'm going to move on. because What if we spent as much or more time on who we're becoming in private so we don't have to work so stinking hard on projecting some version of that in public? Is that... Does that intrigue anyone else beside me? I want that to be true. I'm good with your criticism. I'm good with your praise. I'm good in plenty or in want because all I have is his and all he has is mine. And that's good enough for me. He cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet bound with strips of cloth and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. He said it just like that with that same vocal inflection. And what I see here is I see overt, just unabashed Exodus language. What was the message that Moses was to give to Pharaoh? Let my people go. And here Jesus, not just delivering them from the current world superpower, but here at the tomb of his dear friend, unbind him and let him go. He's bringing about God's greater exodus. Freedom from death, freedom from sin, from our stench and our decay. Jesus in this story is saying, death, you're on notice. You will no longer have the final word around here. And what I find so interesting, and I think it bears out of what I've been trying to say of the God element and the human element and the no stone zone, that even after the father hears his cry and this dead dude is resurrected, he then turns again to his friends and says, guys, that dead man should not be wearing great clothes any longer, so go unbind him. Like, God's part, our part. God's part, our part. It's an always a sacred dance. He always does the heavy lifting. Come on, let me see your muscles. He, he's the one who does the resurrecting and the healing and the saving, forgiving. But many times at the place of bearing our hearts, of removing stones, of, there's like at least 
four or five overt commandments to put off and to clothe yourself. I could give you the passages later. I don't want to mess up the message. But how many know he, we've, as we sit in that place of prayer, and it's really about giving God what he wants, and if he gets what he wants, man, it's going to be good, good for me, even if I end up losing my life for him, because I still get him along the way. But then I love that. He turns right back around and says, guys, go and bind that guy. And then we learn to live an unbound, let my people go lifestyle. I like to say it like this, set free to stay free. And then to be an agent of freedom for those who are bound, hidden behind stenchy, stinky places, stones and barriers. Prayer enables us to live out of our true self, our true identity. Remove the stone. Someone say, remove the stone. And take off the grave clothes. I'm convinced. That, listen, I can only speak of my own prayer life, I, my own time with the Lord, and it's nothing magical or glitz. I mean, I, I appreciate, I like when it's awesome, but most of the time it's the Lord saying, hey, bro, on that area that still stings, I want to heal it if, you will exp- if you'll just let me. Hey, buddy, you know that area of disappointment? You aimed too low. Aim higher, because I actually have more for your life. And prayer is this removing stone, unbind him, put on the new self. It's this dance. Am I talking to anyone today? Like, it's this, it's like the pregame circle up pep top, except for you're always in that space before the Lord, even when you're playing the game. He wants to rem- us to remove our old garments. Why? Verse 40, because he wants to clothe us with his glory. Did you know that you are hardwired, designed to be a glory carrier and a glory emanator? Amen. And in closing... Jesus, our King, hung, exposed on a cross, all stones removed. It says in Isaiah 52 and 3 that he was marred beyond human. His image was marred, was not even recognizable humanly. And he hung there exposed. totally vulnerable and transparent. So that we wouldn't have to fear being exposed any longer. That's what our Lord does. Amen. He has been exposed. And in that exposure... He takes and absorbs all of those things, the sin, the compromise, the the fear, the insecurity. He takes those upon himself so that you and I could be set free. And the beauty of the gospel is that God exposes to heal you, not to harm you. 
God cannot heal what you conceal. He sees it all anyways. You might as well just say, God, come. Take it. Jesus hung fully exposed so that you and I would not have to hide any longer. Move the stone. The Lord is after you. That's the best news I could tell you. He's after you. He, what is he after? I know I'm after a new drum kit. He's after you. He wants you. Let those words soak in. He wants you. He loves you. Remove the stone. But Chad, I stink. You don't know. It's been four days. It's been 40 years. It's been 15. You don't understand it. Move the stone and let resurrection life rush in and rewrite your story through the goodness and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you stand with me? Because the Father possessed all of Jesus, Jesus had at his disposal all that the Father possessed. I like to say this, Jesus is not the exception to the rule, except for in his sinlessness. I mean, there was something that only he did, but he is the rule itself. Nod your head at me if you understand the difference. If I constantly read the Gospels and then Paul's letters and the whole narrative of Scripture and just think Jesus is the exception, well, that was good for him, but I'm just stuck to have no connection or friendship with God. He has to stay, like, distant and far. No, he is the rule itself. He shows us what is now available through the Holy Spirit's power, that relationship. Is available to every person in this room if you will come as you are. Take those stones and say, Lord, I don't, I don't even know what to do with this whole mess, but I just want to remove, I want you to come and I want you to have what you're after so that I can have you. So just bow your heart with me and just allow the Lord to show you where are the stones, where are the areas, the stench, what, what are you afraid of? That he wants to come and fill with his light. Can you trust him with that today? Can you just give it over to him today? Lord, let my heart be a no-stone zone. Break the power, Lord, that 
of the enemy that says, if you expose, if you really lay bare what you're going through and what you're thinking and feeling, he won't want you or like you. But I pray that the gospel would sledgehammer that lie. The reality is he's always been after truth in the inmost place. He wants us to be honest so that the truth of his power and love can come in and transform us. And God, I thank you that this story is all of our stories, that death is not the end, that we serve a God who is the resurrection and the life. So no matter how hopeless or bleak or how far we feel we have on our journey toward wholeness and holiness, that God is so committed he'll walk with us every step of the way. Lord, for our spiritual family, we ask, make us a no-stone zone. May we be an authentic, transparent people so that the glory of God has a place to rest and has a place to just spring off of to the world around us, longing to see a God as good as the one we've seen in Jesus. Lord, for that, we give you praise. And we all said amen. Amen.